0: Are we on? I thought I turned it on so that, yes, now you can hear me. I thought when I wore this mic, it would have the same effect that it had on, on uh, Keith and give me a nice booming bass voice. But that didn't happen, so uh, we'll do with what I have. Uh, I also really, uh, you know, I've been here two or three times, I think, and have enjoyed so much being with this particular congregation because of the connection that we have with Keith. And uh, also because of the um, informality, this beautiful worship, and this, of course, took us back to the time when Keith was leading worship at the Mountainside Chapel where I was pastoring. And then you may know that Keith was also the associate pastor there, too, with me. So we do go back a long way. We have a great uh, relationship. Another reason I love coming here is because of this setup. It, It gives a new meaning to the phrase stand and deliver, doesn't it? And uh, Keith told me that uh, there's there's no mechanism for me to advance the slides. Uh, we have to depend upon the crew to help me advance the slides that we have. But I expect next time I come here, there will be a, 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 a some kind of a strata lounger, uh, you know, one of those <laughs> lazy boys, and I'll have a remote, and then I'll be in my element, and I can advance the slides or change the TV channel, whatever I need to do up here. I, I look forward to that that time as well. I really am uh, pleased to be with you um, because I know you're well taught. I know you're uh, Bible-believing Christians and I know that you've already uh, been exposed to and supportive of uh, Jewish ministry. And as Keith said, I'm here as a representative of of Chosen People, not just Pulpit Supply, but I'm here uh, for the purpose of uh, encouraging you to be involved in Jewish ministry as you are able and as the Lord directs you. Uh, the role that I play is the director of the seminary program that offers a Master's of Divinity degree in Messianic Jewish Studies. It's part of Chosen People's Ministries, an educational initiative, and I get to serve as the vice president of educational advancement. So all that sounds great. It's kind of like having a title but no salary. <laughs> The idea is that uh, I'm only paid from the missionary support that I receive. So when I'm out and about, as I am here and uh, elsewhere, speaking on behalf of Chosen People Ministries, I'm also speaking on behalf of ourselves because we are support-raised missionaries. All our faculty raise their own support, and we pass those savings along to our students so that they don't graduate after three years with a a truckload of debt. So that's how it all operates, and uh, that's the only commercial announcement you'll hear from me. Uh, When I travel around, uh, I'll be in Wisconsin for uh, I guess uh, eight churches next next week or next month, and um, I'm able to travel around. and and I'm always looking for people who, uh, you know, you don't you don't uh, talk people into supporting you. You understand that? Or one man said, "You don't raise support. God lowers support." And it usually happens when there's a connection, and that's the way I like to leave it. That sometimes there's going to be a connection you know maybe one or two people on a on a tour and they'll come up to me and say you know we value what you're doing we under, we get it but we can't do it ourselves and so we want to partner with you to help it get done and uh, that's the kind of thing that we we look forward to uh, whenever we uh, are in churches especially like this one well let me get uh, get started with this presentation i was asked to talk about jewish evangelism and my goodness What a nice thing to talk about. That's what I love the most. And uh, the question is really, well, why do we do this? Why is it important? So the first slide uh, should give us the primary reason why we do any evangelism if we take the Great Commission seriously. So when you look at the Great Commission, and I know this is familiar to you, but uh, Jesus is the one who came up to them and he spoke to them and he said, all authority has been given to me. Uh, That's not a bad way to begin. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And the on earth part is what we're left with. We're here on earth. We're still here on earth. And he says, go, therefore, and you probably know already uh, that the language behind this, the Greek language, doesn't really command you to go. It assumes that you're going. So it should be translated going. You're to do one main thing, make disciples. And make disciples of all nations. And we usually think of that as foreign missions, all the nations out in the world, the UN and such as that. But don't forget that Israel is a nation as well. And sometimes that first nation that was called by God is the forgotten nation. So we don't want that to happen in this day and age. So Chosen People Ministries has a very precise role in working in in, in evangelism. But he says, make disciples of all nations. And here's how you do it. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I take that to mean the, you know, the first part. You, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing the word so that people are evangelized and they're saved. And then it, it also says teaching. So you don't, as, as Keith was saying, we, you know, it's not just a matter of seeing people saved. It's a matter of growing. So you, you get saved, you learn, you grow, and then the outworking of that is your service. But here he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, Son, and Spirit, and then teaching them to observe observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I like the the way that's bracketed. All authority is given to me, and I'm always with you. That should be comforting to all of us, especially when it comes to the work of evangelism. So how do we go about doing evangelism? I suppose that's the question of the morning. I would imagine if you've been around, around long enough, you've seen this little ditty. Having to do with why Jewish evangelism. Um, I think it was originally written, the first part of it was written by an anti Semite, my understanding of the origin of this. The last part was written by Ogden Nash. But anyway, when you put it together, it looks like this How odd of God to choose the Jews! You know? That's the attitude of saying, Oh, why the Jews? But then it was added, But it's not so odd as those who choose the Jewish God, Yeshua, and yet spurn the Jews. I underscored the word spurn in this slide because it doesn't carry a lot of meaning to us today maybe, but spurn could be translated, I suppose, as persecute. If not persecute, ignore, or have an apathetic attitude toward the Jewish people for many reasons, sometimes couched in terms of, well, they rejected Jesus, and so we should reject them. It's called punitive supersessionism, if you want the fancy word. I'll give you the, the $10 word there. Uh, but it's a punitive idea. It's the idea that well, God is punishing the Jewish people because they rejected their Messiah. Now, there's a sense in which it's more difficult for Jewish people to understand. In fact, the New Testament says what? There is a blindness in part that has happened to the Jews. We call that in theology a judicial blindness that we can't quite understand, but it seems that the resultant is that uh, we have a hard time witnessing to Jewish people. All of us all of us do. It's not an easy thing, uh, to be sure. But to spurn the Jewish people could also be simple apathy. Uh, I just don't really care that much. And, and I think that around the country, there's a growing sense of an anti-Israel bias, um, An anti-Jewish bias uh, in many of the churches today. So I'm thankful that I'm in a, a church of friends. I know uh, pretty much how you feel about this, and, and I'm grateful uh, that you do. So let's go on to the question of why Jewish evangelism and, and answer it this way. Uh, I think of it in all four or five single words that you could jot down if you're taking notes, and it might uh, you know, jog your memory when you're thinking about this, this theme. Uh, the first one uh, is the centrality of Israel to the faith. And the centrality of Israel to the faith is is known by those who study the Old Testament, especially those who have studied the the covenants that God has given. And the Abrahamic covenant, as you know, we're not going to turn to it. Again, I'm assuming that you're pretty familiar with it here. But you remember that in in Genesis chapter 12, it talks about Abraham's calling and how he's going to be a, a blessing to the entire world. Somehow or another, he is going to be a blessing. His name is going to be great. Uh, He's going to have a great family, a large offspring, and yet he's going to be blessed. And then those who curse him, remember what it says, will be cursed. Those who bless him will be blessed. Now, we carry that all the way through theologically, and we say, well, that means to us today, those who are pro-Israel, I'm not talking about politics right now, but pro the Jewish people in the sense of wanting to bless them. Well, how do you bless them? You could bless in many ways, but don't you think the best blessing we could give to a Jewish person is to share the Jewish Messiah with that individual? Uh, I think so. And so when I think about the centrality of Israel to the faith, I think of the Abrahamic covenant. I think of the fact that we have the word of God from the Jews. Uh, we would think that with the Old Testament, but the entirety of the New Testament is also written by Jewish people with the possible exception of, exception of Luke. And you know the joke, Luke was a doctor, so he had to be Jew, right? No, I think he was probably a Gentile, perhaps a, a proselyte to Judaism. But here, here's the deal. We have the scriptures from the Jewish people. We have this, this idea that that the writers of the New Testament and old were Jewish people. We have Jesus, the Messiah, who is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah. And we also, believe it or not, are called, as New Testament believers in the book of Galatians, we are called the sons of Abraham, the children of Abraham, or the children according to the promise. Now, that doesn't mean, just a caution here, that doesn't mean that the church has replaced Israel in no way, and that, that's another message for another time, perhaps, because we believe, I believe, that there is a future for the nation of Israel, the the physical Jewish people, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come back to a people, to a nation. And so we feel that he's coming back to the Jewish people at that time. But uh, here's the point. We are connected to the patriarchs and the patriarchs' blessings because they didn't follow the law in any way. They listened to God's word. They responded to his uh, urging Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, remember? And he moved without knowing where he was going to go exactly, but he believed God, and what does it say in the New Testament? His belief in God was accounted to him for righteousness. So it was by faith alone that Abraham entered into this covenant relationship with God, and and that's how we are also. It's not through works, not even through works of the law, this wonderful thing provided by God, but it's through faith in Jesus and his work for us, that we have salvation. So Israel is central to our goyesha or Gentile faith, right? A second thing that I think is important is when I've been asked the question, well, why do you do this anyway? What's a nice Gentile boy like you doing in a Jewish place like this? (laughs) That's the question I, I get asked a lot. And it's because these concepts really hit me very hard. I'm mean, very strong. After graduating from Dallas Theological Seminary with a wonderful degree, I still really didn't understand the Jewish perspective in the way that uh, I think I'm learning as I go along. But the unity of the body of Messiah, which is the church, the body of Christ, the unity of the body is spoken of in the New Testament. And so in Ephesians in particular, we're told that there is a mystery concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New, and the specific terminology of the mystery isn't not just that people are going to be saved through faith, but you've got these two disparate groups that hated each other together in reconciliation. You've got Jews and Gentiles in this body. And I've always thought that that's a reason, that's a motivator, For why would we do Jewish evangelism? And let me just add uh, one thing from historical theology. And it is the fact that uh, since Jewish people stopped becoming a major part of the church in the early years, there has been a neglect in witnessing to the Jewish people. Along with the neglect of witnessing to the Jewish people, in my humble like I tell my students in my humble but accurate opinion. <laughs> in my humble opinion, um, we have had theological error creep into the church over the centuries. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but I'm saying that without a perspective that comes from a Jewish understanding of the, of the Bible, there has been a lot of, of error. And it began probably with Constantine in 325 uh, A.D., uh, in case you're taking those kinds of notes. So why do I feel it's important to do Jewish evangelism? If God said that Jews in particular should be part of the body of Messiah, I want to be available to share the faith with Jewish people. Okay? And I hope you are too. The next one is priority. It's the priority of the Apostle Paul. You remember that when he started out as a missionary, he was called the Apostle to the Gentiles. Remember that? And you'd think that Paul would say, okay, enough of the Jewish people. Uh, I was a Jew. I'm no longer a Jew. You might think that he would say that. I mean, he does count all of the um, activities and the accolades that he received as a Jewish rabbi and member of the Sanhedrin and all of that, he counted as rubbish in comparison to, remember, uh, faith in, in Yeshua. But I think he continued to live as a Jew without violating any kind of principles of faith versus works. And he spoke against the law in the sense that the law can't save all throughout Romans. But I think he still was a practicing Jewish man for all practical purposes. Remember, he's the one who said that I will be as a Jew to a Jew and as a Greek to a Greek. What did he mean by that? I think it meant that he was doing what many of our people in Chosen People Ministries are doing, and that is to try to identify as best as they can with the Jewish culture, even to the point of establishing congregations that are uniquely Jewish in flavor, uh, so that other Jewish people might be more comfortable to come and hear the truth of God. So that's what we do. It was a priority to Paul, though. It was a priority for him so that in the pattern of his ministry, his missionary journeys... You know, every time that he went to a new city, what happened? He'd go directly to the synagogue, and he'd start a fight. And it, well, no, he wouldn't start a fight, but he would be very bold in his proclamation. What would happen? The Jewish people would reject the message and the messenger. And there would be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, trouble because of that. And at one point, it seems as though he's saying, Oh, enough of you already. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And that was early in his missionary journeys. And what did he do right after that? He went to the next town. And where did he go? Just to the Gentiles? No, he went directly to the synagogue again. So think of it this way. If we go to the Jewish people and we are rejected, which we are about 80% of the time or more, do we say, okay, well, the calling is not to the Jewish people. It's... They they had the they had the witness, but now we're going to go only to the Gentiles. See that to me is faulty thinking. It doesn't follow the pattern that Paul um, had in his missionary journeys. He always went back to the synagogue, even though they rejected his message. He was always and what was he doing? Do you remember this at the very end of the book of Acts? Remember what he was doing? He was in prison. You know, he had that leg, whatever they. I guess it wasn't one of those monitors that they have today. (laughs) But somehow or another, he was under house arrest. You remember what was going on in Acts 28? The Jewish elders were coming to his house so that he could share the truth to the Jewish leaders in Rome. Isn't that amazing? I want to die sharing the good news of Jesus with Jewish people. I mean, that would be great. To be involved until the day I die. Now, I have a special, I understand, I have a kind of a special calling. I can't explain it. So, I'm not saying that you should feel the same way. I remember one church that I spoke in right after I became a missionary to the Jews Irving Bible Church. Have you heard of it? Maybe some of you. It was Chuck Swindoll's first uh, big church. He was in Dallas, he was our pastor. Anyway, after I graduated, I came back and I spoke. He wasn't there any longer, but when I spoke, I said to the people, I was so excited about being involved in Jewish work, I said, if you're not involved in Jewish work, you're simply out of God's will. So there you go. Now you know how I feel. The pastor at the time told me afterwards, he says, you know, you might want to tone that down just a bit. (laughs) So I don't say that to anybody these days except, uh, well, in private I might tell you that. It was a priority for Paul. And it's seen in the pattern of his ministry. But it's also seen in the principles that he stated. The particular principle in Romans 1, 16. You probably all know that verse as well. Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to all who believe. First to the Jew and then to the Greek. Now, there are various ways that that has been taken throughout history. One way is that, okay, that's historical fulfillment. It was to the Jews, and now it's to the Greeks. But the exegetical way of understanding the Greek construction there is a little bit different because there's one word that governs the phrase power of God, and that same word governs the idea of to the Jews' first. It's the little word is, esten. And so the argument goes like this, my argument, the power of God. If it is the power of God today, it still is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I don't want to be too technical, but that's the best way of taking the language. And and I do believe that priority of the gospel, going to the Jewish people, is something all of us should think about and pray about. You're not all going to come to Brooklyn with me, I know. But it, it, it's important. I think it's very important in God's in God's uh, overall plan. Uh, don't you? Um, I've, uh, you know, often, after 45 years of ministry, you, you speak to a lot of people going into ministry and going on to the field, the foreign field. And what I tend to do because of my... Uh, particular interest here I usually tell somebody even if he's going as a child evangelism worker to Buenos Aires I've told people you know it might be a good idea to look for the Jewish community in Buenos Aires and see if you can make some kind of a connection and just pray your way into an opportunity and and um, Lo and behold, that's what's happened. People going to a far off land and they find, oh, there's a Jewish community here. Oh, I'm going to follow Paul's particular principle as well as his personal pattern. I'm going to try, even though it's not an easy thing to do. Okay, let me quickly go through the rest of these because uh, there is also the imminency of the return of the Lord. And uh, this is a separate uh, topic. Uh, I would love to come and talk about this uh, uh, more of a prophetic um, statement. But I think all of you would believe that Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back quickly. He's coming back suddenly. Uh, We don't know when He's coming back. He could come back before we finish this message, which will relieve many of you who are sleeping. He could come back at any time. That's the imminency of the return of Messiah. But I think there's something going on in the world today, and I I get it along with so many others who study these things, um, partially from the book of Ezekiel. It seems that in Ezekiel 37... There is um, uh, this this beautiful imagery of bones that are coming together. And the sinews in the vision given to Ezekiel show that well, the bones are all kind of clanking together. There's a sound that's being made. It's dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones, dim bones, dim bones. I can sing too. Yeah, but not very well. That's, you're going to say that, right? So, what's going on in that passage? Do you know what's missing in that passage? Do you remember? Spirit. I personally believe that that passage is talking about a regathering of the people of Israel, even to this day in the nation of, uh, of Israel. And what's lacking? They're gathered in unbelief primarily. What's lacking? It's the Spirit of God. It's the regenerating spirit of God, which will come at the time of the Messiah. So the imminency of the return of the Lord, the unsaved population in Israel, the unsaved Jewish population around the world needs to hear the gospel. Look at the political conditions in the Near East. That should be enough to get our attention. If you have this connection between Russia and Iran, ancient Persia, that's right out of Ezekiel 38 and 39. It, it, it's it's like, how can anybody miss this? Yes, I realize there are ancient cities, ancient towns, ancient um, uh, nations, but when you put it into the modern context and you name those nations in those places, something is going on. Exactly what? I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I think I can be uh, pretty confident that God is at work and Israel is not only the center of our own personal faith, but Israel is the center of things to come. And uh, I could get into the third point here, the moral conditions in the world today. I want to be more positive this morning, so we'll just move on. Duty of all disciples, not only the great commission that was given, but are you familiar with Romans 11.11 and what it says? Let me read that uh, to us because... uh, where is Romans? Is that New Testament? I got it. The entire passage of Romans nine through eleven is critical to understanding the importance of Jewish uh, Jewish witness. But in the chapter eleven and in verse eleven, um, Paul asks again. I ask, uh, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Is it like there's never going to be an Israel Israel again? He says, no, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Have you ever thought of the possibility that that little phrase, that verse in this passage was given to spur us on to make relationships with the Jewish people and to show by our faith that there's something lacking in theirs? I think so. There's discussion as to whether this should be taken as a purpose clause. You know, the purpose of your salvation is so that you can make the Jewish people envious. Or whether it's uh, the result. It's a result clause. The result of your salvation is that the Jewish people are, to, are going to be envious of what your, your faith is. Either way, it's the same thing, I think. And it speaks to me of a duty that all believers have uh, to think about the Jewish people. There's another passage in uh, Romans. Uh, 15, I'm sorry, yes, Romans 15 about verse 26. It has to do with the collection that that Paul was taking around the the Mediterranean. He was taking a collection because there was a famine back in Jerusalem, and the people who were hurt in the famine, like a, think, think of it as an earthquake or something natural disaster that's happening they were trying to help them out well the people who needed the help were the jewish believers in jerusalem and all these gentiles out around the mediterranean area the greeks in macedonia were giving financially and and I, the principle is right here he says in verse 25 now however i'm on my way to jerusalem in the service of the saints there macedonia and achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So you've got Jewish believers who need to be ministered to physically here. And then he says, for if the Gentiles, that is, Gentile believers, have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, that is, the Bible, the Messiah, and all that is Jewish in our faith, then they owe it to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem to share with them. Their material blessings as well. Have you ever thought of that passage before? I'm, I mean, that struck me as a, a young man thinking, my goodness, there's kind of a debt, almost a duty uh, in Jewish evangelism for me. Not I, I understand not everyone. Of course, this would be a great time to pass the plate. <laughs> We're not going to do that. But, but you see the principle. The principle is we've re- received so much, uh, shouldn't we overcome whatever we uh, can't do, and try to do as, as much as we can for them. Okay, well, uh, where are we now? That's the, the, the duty. Now, uh, uh, to move forward, um, Keith, again, how much time do I have? I've got some more? Ten minutes? Okay. Because I want to talk about this wonderful passage in Acts chapter 8, And you could turn there if you have your Bibles with you and we can take a look at some of the verses that speak to this very issue. Now, you're going to say, wait a minute, I thought that was an Ethiopian eunuch. And we're talking about witnessing to Jewish people. That's true. But I believe you'll, you'll notice something here that applies across the board. And it applies to your witness to people who are not Jewish as well. Maybe there are some Ethiopians you need to contact. I don't know. But look at this passage, beginning in chapter 8, and let's, let's begin in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Well, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, so he's some, some probably, we call them the Yere Adonai, the God-fearers of the Gentile world who were drawn, they were attracted to Jerusalem and the Jewish people. It might have been part, of, well, we don't know exactly. It might have been part of the, the ministry of the queen of Sheba years and years prior to that. But in any case, this, this official, goes to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he's sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip into the chariot with him. Come up and sit with me, he said. And the eunuch was reading this particular passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before his the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And if you ever need to explain to a Jewish person what the New Testament understanding of Isaiah 53 is, this is a good place to turn. Because Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I've always loved that passage, and there are so many things to learn from the passage Uh, You can outline it as the the slide indicates. Uh, There was a divine encounter. I want to say a few words about that. And then there was a scriptural message. I'll say a few words about that. And then I'll say not very much at all about the proper response and the sudden redirection. Well, what was the proper response? If you read a a, a little bit further, this this Ethiopian eunuch says, Why can't I be baptized? So he believed and he says to, to, to Philip, Baptize me. And they stop at a stream and they, he's baptized. That's a proper response. And then there's a sudden redirection at the end where you know Philip has kind of moved to another place uh, suddenly and uh, almost miraculously, right? He's raptured, the word is used, uh, out of that place and put into another place. But I want to focus on these first two points. And I'll do it uh, very briefly in just the next few minutes. But notice that it's a divine encounter, a divine encounter. And in this, we see a number of things. We see that uh, the character of the witness is involved. Who is it? It's Philip. What do we learn about Philip in other portions of Scripture? He was one of the deacons in Acts 2. He was a, a Greek man. Uh, maybe a, a, a convert, probably a, a convert to Judaism prior to becoming a believer in Yeshua, kind of like this Ethiopian is going to be. But we know that he was filled with the Spirit. It says that he was wise, and he was set apart, and he was also persecuted. So he was kind of a picture of us, I hope. You know, we're hopefully controlled by the Spirit of God. We are hopefully wise, growing in wisdom, and hopefully each one of us is a saint, that is a hagios, set apart by God. You feel like, well, I have a personal destiny, something I'm supposed to be doing in this life, other than just getting up and going to work and coming home and going to sleep, right? So each of us in this room, I hope, I I trust, because of your faith in the Lord, so there's a reason for me to be here. I think Philip had that that sense. He was a man of destiny. so um, we see that the, the character of the, of the witness is very important. And then we see that there is a command that comes through an angel. Isn't that what it says here? It says an angel of the Lord told him to do something. If an angel came to me and told me to do something, I'd probably do it. I'm thinking I would probably respond. Uh, but, so we have this supernatural part of it as well. But let's, let's uh, notice also that it was angelic. It was specific, it was unusual, and it was obeyed. So this command from the angel says, go to a specific place, and he gets up and he goes. I think sometimes, not an angel necessarily, but a prompting from the Spirit, uh, gives us an, uh, kind of a command. So I, I really, th- it's the impression that we get. I don't, I'm not, you know, so charismatic as to believe that God directly speaks to me in ways that, uh, you know, the Word doesn't confirm. But the Word certainly confirms the fact that I'm to be a witness for Him. And have you ever had the, the Lord say something or remind you that, well, if I do this, I may be obeying Him in what I'm supposed to do. And then you can either say, okay, I'll do it or I won't. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. And it always works out better when I obey the prompting of the Spirit. Well, I think that's what happens here. A command is given, it's specific, it's unusual, and it is obeyed. And then notice next that we have the contact. This is a contact from another culture, an Ethiopian. Think about us again, how it applies to us today. Uh, This is kind of how do we go about sharing the gospel. We have to be open and willing to go to another culture. We have to be in the right place at the right time, but we have to be willing to go to a foreigner. I think that's what this is about. And not only that, this person was an outcast of Israel. As a eunuch, he was not allowed to even be in the temple. Uh, That word is clearly stated in Deuteronomy chapter 21. The good news is that in the kingdom, Isaiah 24 and also in Isaiah uh, 54, I'm sorry, 54, 1 through 10, it says that even the eunuchs will be part of the worship service of the millennial kingdom. Isn't that nice? That's one reason I'm a uh, pre-millennialist, I guess. Things are going to change. But he's a foreigner. He's an outcast. But he's a dignitary. So not only is he a foreigner, but he's pretty up high in the echelon. Reminds me of the UN. Our headquarters in Manhattan are right next to the UN almost. So he's a dignitary in Ethiopia. Uh, He's been prepared in some way to receive this message. I mean, why would he be reading Isaiah 53. He had already been to Jerusalem, and now he's going all the way back down to Ethiopia in order to uh, take up his uh, whatever business he has to, to do there. So he was prepared. He was wealthy uh, by the fact that he rode in a, in a uh, chariot. And he seemed to be curious, right? So the contact from another culture. Wouldn't you love to run into people like that who are curious and prepared? Those are the people I love to witness to. Notice again, though, that there's another, another uh, command. This time it's a command specifically from the Spirit. The Spirit told Philip, and we normally joke about this and say he must have had to start running alongside the chariot to stay near it, I don't know, but he's running alongside the chariot, and he, he comes up to the chariot, and he hears him reading Isaiah, and then he asks a question. So let's talk about this for just a moment. And that is, the next command comes, and the command that is given is divine, it's from the Holy Spirit. And the conversation that comes from from this, in this divine encounter, I think it's very instructive. The conversation begins with a question. So Philip had the guidance of the Holy Spirit to ask a particular question, do you understand what you're reading? This is followed by an invitation. So in this divine encounter, the conversation is all about the willingness of the hearer to hear the witness. How many times in Jewish evangelism has the evangelist pushed too hard? I would say quite often. How many times has there been an offense, maybe in the way that you've witnessed, an offensive way of reaching out? That has to be avoided at all cost. And so I, I really believe that this is an example for all of us to learn from. Ask questions. Wait for an invitation. And then, of course, you want to always center it on an explanation of the Word of God. Isn't that what happened here? The man said, I can't understand it unless someone explains it to me. The little word explains it to me should be translated lead the way. How can I understand unless somebody leads the way? Horos and ago. It's the idea of leading the way into understanding. Isn't that what we want to do when we're sharing the faith with people? You know, just want to lead them to the same bread that we've uh, taken ourselves. Okay. Okay. Well, evangelism is the result, and so it's sharing this uh, wonderful Word of God. Now, I don't have time to go into the scriptural message, so we're not going to do that. So. But the scriptural message is pretty clear. This is another, another visit, another time maybe, but Isaiah 53 is what we've been using for the last 10 years or more with Chosen People ministers. Just get Isaiah 53 into the hands of Jewish people. We put it on billboards, we put it in bus stations, we put it everywhere so that people will see That there is a portion of Scripture that cannot be explained to our way of thinking in any other way than to say this passage about the servant of the Lord is a prediction of Jesus. We're not going to go through it, but that very center portion portion there, the the form of this this, um, passage draws attention to the wounded servant, the one who died for us. (coughs) Uh, just a brief, <clears throat> brief story, sitting in a, in a, at NYU, surrounded by Jewish scholars, we were going through Isaiah 53, just reading the passage in Hebrew and commenting on it. I was the only Gentile, uh, there were a dozen Jewish uh, rabbis and leaders, they had never read, some of them had never read Isaiah 53 because it's not part of the prayer book, conveniently skipped. So they came to this portion in Isaiah 53, simply reading through it. One of the students blurts out, Dr. Gordon, that sounds like Jesus. And he said, as a matter of fact, unless you understand that Isaiah 53 is considered to be the fifth gospel to the Christian world, you'll never understand Christianity. And he turns to me and he says, isn't that right, Mr. Haig? And I, of course, said, yes, this is central to our understanding of who Jesus is. He's the suffering servant, the Lamb, who died to take away our sins. All right, let's conclude. Let's move forward and conclude with just a few uh, uh, concepts that come, I think, from, from this passage. And uh, just one minute or so will take just uh, some concluding thoughts. Let's go to the next slide, please. my wife loves this first line It's the title of her article that she wrote on this passage and it is this that God places people in specific places and God will always provide the person who is needed to share the truth that's our view of the sovereignty of God in this process secondly God is concerned for those in high positions And don't be afraid to share the simple gospel, your testimony, and the biblical truth uh, with people who are in high positions, such as your Jewish doctor, your Jewish lawyer. Don't be afraid to share. God is concerned for all people groups. So whether it's an Ethiopian, uh, someone from India, someone from Alaska, it doesn't matter. He cares for all people groups, but I think he cares especially for his own chosen people. God provides truth for the seeking heart. This is in concert with number one there. You're in a specific place because there's someone around you who is seeking. I like to say that you cannot say the wrong thing to the right person. And you can't say the right thing to the wrong person. And God is the one who determines that part. What you can do wrong is not to say anything. So, what we want to do is simply broach the subject whenever we can. God uses humans to lead others to Christ. He could snap his fingers and the Ethiopian eunuch would have been saved, but no, Philip had to run alongside the chariot. God uses prophecy to point the way. Wouldn't you agree? Isaiah 53, central to our ministry and so many other portions of the Old Testament. And God uses the visible to show the invisible. That comes from the baptism. It's the idea that, that the Ethiopian said, just I want to show the world, I want to, I want to testify that I'm a believer. Okay, the last slide, and we'll, we'll conclude with this. One of the so what questions is, do we believe, do you believe personally that the Lord has placed you in a strategic location to serve him? Now, when it comes to Jewish work, I know that you're very close to Lakewood, and there are a lot of Orthodox Jewish people around. We're in Coney Island Avenue. We're surrounded by 80,000 Orthodox Jewish people. And it's tough sledding. So I understand how difficult it is. And I'd love to hear your your stories if you've had any opportunities to share. But you may be in this position. We call it the the ministry of presence. We want to be where God is going to do some interesting things. And I think he's going to do some very interesting things with the most orthodox of the Jewish people. Uh, Do we follow the promptings of the Spirit? That's a certain question that we have to ask. Are we willing to share our faith with prominent people, as I said before? And have you given evidence of your faith? Uh, Maybe you need to be baptized yourself, as this Ethiopian did. And should you request baptism? Are you seeking the truth? He was. So put yourself in the position of the one riding in the chariot and reading. You know, maybe you need some help to understand. Or maybe you're the one who's running alongside and you need to be invited by that individual, get an invitation, and share the faith with them. Okay, well, I've left you with an awful lot of stuff to think about, I know. I'm sorry about uh, that if it's been more than you're uh, used to. I have a feeling that as rowdy as your fellowship time was, you you just keep doing that to take time away from Keith and his message. So... uh, I know you get short messages, but I went a little bit long. May I pray with you? Father, we are exceptionally thankful for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for the worship that we experienced earlier today, for the music and the, the praise. I praise you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Father, too, for this uh, great group of people. They They know you. They know your word. They support your people. Uh, they have it figured out in so many ways. And yet, at the same time, sorrows and tribulations and problems in this life abound. So I pray your rich blessing upon each of these folks here. May you be all they need as they go through this life and may their gratitude for what you do for them spur them on to sharing the good news with everybody around them. Help them to have a good testimony, not one of perfection, but one of forgiveness and one in which they see themselves as forgiven by the eternal God. And we thank you that we will be with you when the Lord Jesus returns. And we look forward to that coming. Maranatha, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.